0: This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 128, the third part of the story about Frank Hart, who was the Jackie Robinson of the 19th century ultra running. He broke the color barrier and fought racism with his feet and sometimes his fists, as you will see in this episode today. This multi-part series is a slimmed-down version of Hart's Amazing Life. To read the entire history, get my new book on Amazon, Frank Hart, The First Black Ultra Running Star. Search for Frank Hart, H-A-R-T, on Amazon. And now a word from our sponsors. Guess what? I released another book. What? Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim History. It is a must-read for anyone who has run Rim-to-Rim or plans to in the Grand Canyon. It presents a 130-year history of the Rim-to-Rim hikers, runners, trails, bridges, Phantom Ranch, and other things you will see on your run, packed with more than 400 photos. Get Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim History on Amazon.
1: Will do! Run, come see what this river has done.
0: Releasing this episode was delayed a week because 10 days ago I went through the fun of going through total knee replacement. I seem to be recovering well. In 1880, Frank Hart, age 23, was recognized as one of the top ultra runners or pedestrians in the world. But after a life-threatening illness, many speculated that he would never return to his dominant form. He had gone through a life-changing transition of accumulating more wealth in one year than most men acquired in a lifetime, and he was freely spending his fortune. Make sure you also listen to Part 1 and Part 2 in Episodes 126 and 127. Hart's six-day world record of 565 miles was broken by Charles Rowell of England by one mile in November 1880 which deeply bothered Hart. In January 1881, he accepted a challenge from Raoul to meet head-to-head later in the year. That became his focus, and he tried to get back into world championship shape. But then another rival appeared on the scene full of racial hatred. John Hughes, known as the Leper of New York, did not hide his racist hatred for heart. He had been a poor day laborer before he found success in pedestrianism. He was born in Ireland and was the son of a competitive runner. When he was a boy, he was a fast runner, won some races and could run close to hounds in fox hunts. With no formal education, he emigrated to America in 1868 at 18, became a citizen, and worked for the city of New York in Central Park. It was said that he was, quote, stubborn as a government mule. (laughs) He was called the leper because of his particular way of walking with an odd jumping gait. Hughes was known for his temper and often showed inappropriate behavior in races. He desperately wanted to be recognized as the champion pedestrian of the world, it was reported,
2: Hughes is a boastful and ignorant fellow, an unlimited confidence in his powers.
0: Hughes had experienced some success, but had failed to win any of the big six-day races. His best six-day mark was 520 miles, when he finished sixth at the Rosebelt race in 1879, won by Hart. But finally, on January 29, 1881, Hughes had the finest race of his career when he broke the six-day world record, achieving 568 miles in the first O'Leary International Belt race held at the American Institute building in New York City. Hart did not compete in that race, choosing instead to get ready to defend the original American O'Leary belt to be held the following month. As the third O'Leary belt approached, Hughes desperately wanted to win that O'Leary belt too and beat Hart. He boasted that he could cover 600 miles. In 1881, Bernard Woods Gymnasium and Athletic Grounds in Brooklyn, New York, was a popular place for runners to train on an indoor sawdust track. In February 1881, both Hart and Hughes used the track to train for the upcoming O'Leary Belt. Hughes would often yell hate-filled racist slurs at Hart. Hart had nothing good to say about Hughes. One Sunday afternoon, while both were training there, they competed in an Eagle base sprint together, which Hughes won. Hart yelled that he would beat Hughes at an upcoming match.
2: Hughes turned around and shouted, You lie, you black. D-. Saying this, he struck Hart with a powerful blow under the chin. <laughs> Hart fell flat on his back, but was up again in an instant and hit Hughes over the right eye.
0: They continued to deliver blows, but Hart was no match for the bigger Hughes. Trainer Happy Jack Smith jumped in and separated them. As Hart went away, Hughes shouted at him,
1: I'll kill you the next time I meet you on the track.
0: Hughes had a black eye and Hart had a swollen cheek. When a reporter asked Hughes why Hart didn't have a black eye, he replied disgustingly,
1: I would have had to put white marks on Hart to have given him
0: black eyes, wouldn't I? Hughes moved his training to the American Institute building in New York City. His wife said,
1: He does not wish to associate any longer with such low trash as frequent the Brooklyn Gymnasium.
0: The two bitter rivals competed in the third O'Leary Belt six-day race held in Madison Square Garden with 20 starters on February 28, 1881, in front of 8,000 spectators. Hart took the early lead. He was determined to stay ahead of Hughes. It was reported,
2: Happy Jack Smith, his handler, said that Hart, for the first time in his racing career, refused to obey his instructions. He traveled altogether too fast in the first two hours of the race, keeping it up after repeated cautions to slow down. Jack ran around an entire lap with him in endeavors to put on the brakes. Several loafers hung over the rails, subjecting Hart to terrible racial insults, such as, You ought to be jerked from the track with a rope around your neck.
0: Hart withdrew from the race due to nerve pain after running only 63 miles. Smith said, Hart tried to kill Hughes with the pace and succeeded in killing himself. Others speculated his downfall was mostly from his mode of living since he became rich and from his severe sickness the previous year. Hughes was elated that Hart had dropped out. He took the lead and reached 100 miles in 16 hours and 20 minutes. But he soon lost the lead when he went off track to take an alcohol bath. When he returned, he was stiff.
2: The change in Hughes's demeanor was marked. His stolid face had almost become a bright one when he learned of Hart's withdrawal. But now he scowled blackly at the new leader, and all the spirit seemed to have gone out of him. He couldn't or wouldn't run.
0: Hughes made frequent brief stops on day two and experienced, quote, excruciating pains in his stomach, causing him to fall on the track. He eventually got up, but continued to complain.
2: His face became pale and his whole body swayed to and fro like an intoxicated man.
0: He finally quit the race after only 115 miles.
2: It was agreed that Hart and Hughes had allowed their personal animosity by inciting them to an exhaustive struggle at the outset to defeat them both. Both cried like babies and cursed their trainers.
1: Why <laughs>
2: While their trainers, as heartily, cursed them back.
0: Hart's public image took a tremendous hit, and criticism filled the newspapers on his return to Boston. He said that he cared nothing for newspaper opinions. Hart sent in his deposit for the 7th Astley Belt race to be held in England during June 1881, hoping finally to race against Raoul. On April 17, 1881, he sailed for England. His new manager, John W. Luke, a former private detective from New York City, went with him along with one of Hart's black friends who would serve as his attendant. Night and day he trained, running or walking on the deck of the steamer. Happy Jack Smith had resigned as Hart's trainer because Hart would no longer train as Smith desired. After all that Smith had done for Hart, including nursing him back to health, their breakup was sad to see. He said Hart's downfall was, quote, cruising around town at nights when he ought to have been in bed. Hart arrived in England on May 1st, 1881. He trained at a public park in London. As the race approached in June, probably because of overtraining, his feet swelled and his legs suffered from rheumatism. He had to pull out of the Astley Belt race, bitterly disappointed. London Sports reported, Frank
2: Hart, who came over here with the express intention of whipping all wobbling creation, has gone in for rheumatism instead.
0: Hart went to Nice, France to get better.
2: He dabbled in horse racing and lost $10,000 on the turf in England and $5,000 in Paris. His trip cost him $17,000.
0: Valued at $500,000 today, more than half of his fortune
2: and he
1: remarked resigningly, It has cost many a man more.
0: Before returning to America, authorities arrested Hart, accused him of assaulting a French woman and stealing 30 shillings from her. Bail was set at 40 pounds, and a trial was scheduled in London.
2: It seems that Hart had gone with another black companion to a house of ill fame, and when the proprietress of the establishment ordered them away, They committed the alleged robbery of 30 shillings. The woman was afterwards grossly assaulted as she was pursuing the flying pair to get them into custody.
0: They caught Hart, but his friend escaped. A couple of weeks later, the grand jury threw out the case. The newspaper London Age reported,
2: The charge against Hart was utterly devoid of foundation and the grand jury, without hesitation, threw out the bill, Hart leaving the court without a stain on his character.
0: Unfortunately, this outcome was not printed in papers across America. Hart returned in shame to Boston about a month later. He gave his side of the story to the Boston Globe, attempting to brush off the controversy of the original story that was printed nationwide. He explained,
1: One evening, accompanied by a friend, I entered a bar room. There was a man and a woman standing there quarreling. The woman turned round to me and said, You have stolen 30 shillings, which I just left on the counter. At the same moment, the man said, You did. I saw you do it. I was aggravated and struck him. She then grabbed me by the throat, tearing the buttons off my vest. I struck her and was at once taken to the Vine Street police station and in a few minutes released.
0: Charles Rowell, the English champion, traveled to America to sightsee, and Hart tried unsuccessfully to get him to accept a six-day challenge from him. He said,
1: I will never be satisfied until I beat him.
0: After nine months away from competition, in December 1881, he ran a 75-hour exhibition race in Memphis, Tennessee, and won with 306 miles, the furthest that he had reached in more than a year and a half. With that tune-up, two weeks later, on December 26, 1881, he started in a six-day race in the American Institute building in New York City with 14 starters. Surprisingly, he was the favorite among the wagerers. About two days later, he reached an impressive 221 miles, just two miles behind the leader. However, on the third day, Hart became sick from inflamed lungs and quit the race after 229 miles, more than 40 miles behind, another failure. The race had billiard tables set up in the center area of the track, and Hart spent most of the following days playing pool and watching the runners. Patrick Fitzgerald went on to win and break the world record with 582 miles. Hart went to New York City and set his sights on the next big six-day race to be held in Madison Square Garden, the Diamond Whip, on February 27, 1882. This would finally be his chance to race against Charles Rowell, who was undefeated in six-day races. But then came the shocking news that Hart's backers from former races refused to put up the $1,000 for his entrance fee because of his recent failures his fortune was running out and he couldn't pay it himself. The referee said he could enter anyway with agreement from all the other entrants. However, they were not unanimous in letting him in without paying. He finally raised the $1,000, with Raoul kindly contributing $100, but it was past the deadline. Again, some of the entrants, including his nemesis Hughes, opposed his late entry.
2: Hughes positively refused to hear of Hart's admission on any terms.
0: Hart was greatly disappointed, and his new backers tried hard to change Hughes's mind, but he refused. Hughes claimed Hart owed him $100 and believed that if Hart was in the race, he would focus on preventing Hughes from winning by dogging his steps. It amazed everybody when Hart entered the garden and went toward one of the runners' cabins an hour before the start of the race. The scorer at the great blackboard put up Hart's name. Reporters were informed that Hughes had finally consented to let Hart run.
2: The facts soon became known in the vast throng, and the cheers showed how great was the sympathy with Boston's colored athlete. Hart himself was overjoyed and was so moved that he could hardly speak.
0: It turns out that a notorious policeman, Captain Clubber Williams, convinced Hughes to let Hart in, likely with a little blackmail involved to pay off a shady favor Williams had previously performed for Hughes. At the start line, something surprisingly occurred. Hart was chewing a toothpick,
2: and as he turned, he saw Hughes stepping up to the ladder He grasped his hand and vigorously shook it.
0: Early in the race, Hart ran alongside Raoul, angering some of the crowd, who speculated that Hart had been allowed to run to help Raoul. By running next to Raoul, he could also block other runners from passing. Hughes complained to the referee and wanted Hart to be kicked out of the race. The crowd hissed Hughes. Finally, some in the crowd screamed, Clear the track, Hart! And he ran ahead. After Hart bumped Hughes while passing him, Hughes shouted to the referee,
1: I rule this man out!
0: Hart gave his side of the story to the referee and was allowed to continue. Whenever Hughes ran near Hart, a scowl would appear on his face. On the first day, Raoul covered an astonishing 150 miles. Hart was in third place with 124. Hart reached 217 miles after day two, 313 miles after day three, and 409 miles after day four, accomplishing the extremely rare 400-plus miles in four days for the second time in his career. Hughes broke down on day four, went on a, quote, snail-like pace with an agonized countenance, a sorry figure on the track, and fell in the standings but recovered the next day. His remaining focus was just to beat Hart, and the spectators cheered him on in his effort. On the last day, Hughes kept gaining on Hart. During the final laps of the race, Hart, in one of his many colorful outfits, came up to pass Hughes and put out his hand for Hart to grasp.
2: The two bitter enemies were thus reconciled, both braced like mad the length of the lap, and the crowd strained its lungs with shouting.
0: But in the end, Hart prevailed, and for the first time in nearly two years, he finished a six-day race. He placed fourth and reached 542 miles to Hughes's 535 miles. Hart won a much-needed $1,500, valued at $43,000 today, to maintain his lifestyle and pay off his debts. The big story of the race was that George Hazel of England became the first person in history to reach 600 miles in six days, crushing the world record. At the end of the race, the referee was presented with a legal summons against Hart's winnings. His former trainer, John W. Luke, was suing Hart for $313 for lack of payment of services at the failed effort in England. Hart got wind of it and made his escape.
2: He put on a big overcoat and a high hat, fixed a huge cigar in his mouth, broke a hole in the roof of his quarters, climbed through, leaped ten feet to the ground, and got out the back door. There a carriage awaited him, and one of his backers thrust him into it, whispered to the driver, and saw him safely away.
0: Gottlob took control of Hart's winnings, but could only get $1,000 from race management, who held back $500 to satisfy Luke's claim. Hart's reputation in Boston took another blow. At the end of March 1882, the Boston Globe reported,
2: Frank Hart has left Boston for good. He says he hasn't had a friend in the city, either white or colored.
0: Hart was being pursued by other debtors. The sheriff seized some of Hart's lands and buildings in Boston and put it up for auction to cover his foreclosed mortgage. Hart went on a southern barnstorming tour in Tennessee and Arkansas with O'Leary and others, where he competed in leisurely races and exhibitions, more for money, less for competition. He was pleased to be away from the controversy and treated like a celebrity again. At the end of July, 1882, Hart again competed in a serious six-day race with several of the famous pedestrians of the time, including his nemesis, Hughes. The race was held in the massive casino building in Back Bay, Boston.
2: The crowd was very small, and in the immense building looked even less than it really was. Hughes made 50 miles, and then drew out in disgust. He gave his reason that the track was not good, being soft in places.
0: Hart ran 125 miles during the first day and established a large lead which he held throughout the race, winning with 527 miles his sixth six-day race victory.
2: One thing is very certain, that Hart has in a measure redeemed himself with many of his old friends who had lost faith in him, owing to his late failures on the track. Hart, after a fortune smiled on him, neglected himself so much as to the cause, no confidence to be placed in his foot powers. He seemed determined to win back his lost laurels and again take the front rank in pedestrianism.
0: At age 25, perhaps he was maturing or had a good public relations person helping him. The next major race was the Championship of the World six-day race at Madison Square Garden on October 23, 1882. Hart wisely kept a low profile and seemed to concentrate on serious training. He was reunited with world-class trainer Happy Jack Smith. Hart said,
1: Happy Jack Smith and I have buried the hatchet, and I am confident of breaking all past records.
0: Smith was very pleased with Hart's conditioning going into the race. Hart re-embraced Boston and said he was representing the city and would bring back the colors to the hub. When the nine runners came to the start line, Hughes swore to run the down on the first day. After the start, the two went out hot and finished the first mile in 6 minutes and 16 seconds. It was observed.
2: Hart is the prettiest ped on the track. His gait and the earnestness with which he jogs along are inspiring much confidence in his being perhaps the dark horse.
0: Hughes took the lead and was the first to reach 100 miles in a very speedy 14 hours. The world record stood at 13 hours 26 minutes set by Charles Rowell earlier in the year. Hart ran well, but there still was some drama involving him. While Smith was sleeping, Hart drank champagne, something Smith did not want him to do. On day four, Smith was frustrated with Hart, who was still 30 miles behind the leader Fitzgerald. He said, He is lazy. You can't depend on him at all. As a man won't do as you tell him to, he puts you in a hole. When we gave Frank beef tea, he spurts it on the track. He wants nothing but slops all the time. I never saw him so before. He played possum with you all the time." In protests, Smith temporarily quit as Hart's handler. Hart worked harder and surpassed 400 miles in four days, as did four others. It truly was a world-class race, although the world record holder Hazel dropped out after 383 miles. On the morning of day five, Hart fell on the floor of his room with terrible cramps. Smith, who had returned, worked on him and he soon recovered. Then Hart apologized to Smith for the way he had treated him the previous day and promised to follow his advice for the rest of the race. He pulled ahead of Hughes and reached 476 miles at the end of the day. On the final morning, Hart sat in a chair with a badly swollen knee. He said,
1: I have honestly done my best, although everyone has called me lazy. But the truth is, the smoke in the garden would kill anyone.
0: He tried to continue, but withdrew at 8 a.m. with 482 miles. In the end, Patrick Fitzgerald from Long Island won with 577 miles. Smith again stopped training Hart and eventually moved on to train Fitzgerald. Boston considered Hart's effort a failure. There were some rumors that Hart had been bribed to quit, but he vigorously denied that. It was reported.
2: The next six-day race will be his last, when he hopes to return to Boston, having reclaimed his lost laurels.
0: Would he really retire? No. It was a proven source of enormous income for him, but Hart just wasn't keeping up with the competition. Since Hart set the six-day world record of 565 miles in 1880, nine others had surpassed his mark during the next four years. He was now ranked 10th in the world. Early in 1883, again desperate for money, Hart issued Hughes a challenge to race for 26 hours, and Hughes accepted. A promoter took on the event and scheduled it for March 1883 in a minor venue in Troy, New York, across the Hudson River from Albany. They should have realized that this was a terrible idea to get the two hated rivals together. Throughout the race, the two had confrontations and were said to be in a, quote, quarrelsome mood. Late in the race, Hughes was partaking in a bit too much stimulating booze. He had a good lead, 142 miles to 121 miles, but then he went crazy. He accused the scores of cheating him. He yelled, You sold me out before, and you have done it again. The has been sleeping, and his score has been going up all the time while I am doing honest work. Hart responded by punching him in the face. <coughs> And then a, quote, lively fight occurred for a few minutes until the crowd separated them. The police came and found Hughes bleeding from his nose. They cleared the hall and put an end to the match. The Hart and Hughes' disgusting feud continued. Two months later, in June 1883, during a six-day race in Kernan's Summer Garden in Baltimore, Maryland, Hughes, who was leading the race on day four with 410 miles, accused Hart of conspiring with George Normack to try to run Hughes off the track. Hart denied it and called Hughes' names. Hughes struck Hart, pounding him in the face and throwing him over the rail, and a, quote, lively tussle continued.
2: Mrs. Hughes, who had been a faithful attendant on her husband, interfered to separate the men. Hart tried to bite her, but only succeeded in biting the sleeve of her dress. The combatants were parted.
0: The police stopped the fight. Hart treated his black eye, changed his ripped shirt, and continued, but only reached 400 miles, not enough to be eligible for any winnings. Hughes went on to win with 558 miles. Stay tuned for more about Frank Hart, And get the full book on Amazon, Frank Hart, The First Black Ultra Running Star. That is Frank Hart, H-A-R-T, on Amazon. With that, this is Davey Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.